0: to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we come to the end of this series on Proverbs, you would speak to us and purge our desire for wisdom in the light of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this evening we do come to the end of our series in the book of Proverbs. Um, I'm I'm a little sorry to be at the end, actually, uh, for there is a lot more that we could have looked at, a lot more. Uh, there are some great proverbs, um, just because I can't resist, let's have a glance at a few. We could have talked a lot more about the wisdom Proverbs has for relationships. Uh, for example, Proverbs 11.22 says, Like a gold ring and a pig's snout, so is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. Hashtag Miley Cyrus. That's a bit harsh, a bit harsh. We could have lingered over the many things Proverbs has to say about the danger and stupidity of adultery. We could have considered the numerous proverbs that are all about honey. Yes, honey, uh, which just seemed kind of amusing, until you read Proverbs 25:27, "It is not good to eat much honey or to seek honor on top of honor." Ah, honey. Interesting. Uh, We could have taken time to think about the powerful warnings in Proverbs against drunkenness. Did you know they were there? Have a look. We could have enjoyed the reference to King Lemuel in chapter 31. Where is Lem? Named after Proverbs 31, your mum or your dad. They knew knew what they were doing. That's a nice one. Everybody look it up and then send him a text message about it or something. Uh, some of my favorite proverbs are the ones that just kind of get you pondering. Uh, proverbs 16 verse 1, one that's important for preaching. A man may arrange his thoughts, but what he says depends on the Lord." Proverbs 27:19: "Just as water reflects the face, so one human heart reflects another." What does that mean? It's interesting. Um, One which I've been thinking about lately is Proverbs 27, verse 8. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. There are other Proverbs that seem to have been written with Facebook in mind. Proverbs 17, verse 24. A discerning person keeps wisdom in view, but a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. Mm. Uh, Whatever else this series has done, I hope it has brought this strange and interesting book of the Bible to life for you a little. But we have to finish. And to do so, there is one theme in Proverbs that seemed most important to return to. That theme is the fear of the Lord. Again and again, Proverbs insists that the cornerstone of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the holy one is understanding. Proverbs fourteen twenty seven The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Proverbs fifteen thirty three The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom, and humility comes before honour. Proverbs twenty three verse seventeen Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. The book as a whole is actually framed by this idea. Uh, In chapter 1, verse 7, the idea of the fear of the Lord is a kind of heading to the rest of the book. And right at the end of chapter 31, a reference to the fear of the Lord ends the description of the wise woman in chapter 31. But what is the fear of the Lord? How do you do it? And why is it so important? We get some clues in the verses that I just read. You may have noticed how it was linked with the knowledge of God, but also linked with humility and with not envying sinners. That's interesting, isn't it? And it points us in the right direction. The fear of the Lord has to do with some kind of awareness of God that shapes our attitudes to life and relationships. But we need to go deeper than that. So can I invite you to turn with me now to Proverbs chapter 3, which I think is one of the best windows we have onto what Proverbs means by the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 3, page 627, I think. Is that right? Yes, 627 in the Pew Bibles. Excellent. Proverbs chapter 3 begins in what is by now a familiar way with a parent's exhortation to their son to treasure wisdom. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Wisdom is what matters, it is the key to life turning out well. So keep these words, my son, says the father or the mother. But then they go on to remind the son of what the heart of this teaching is, their wise teaching. The thing—what What is the thing that underpins all of the words? Verse five. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. The fear of the Lord. This is what matters most. This is the most important lesson of all the father's teaching. It is also the thing that will keep the son on the right path. Keep him straying from wise teaching. Fear of the Lord will keep him holding on to it. This is the all-important foundational attitude and stance that sets everything going in the right direction. Now, in these beautiful verses, I think we get a number of different angles on the fear of the Lord. First, we see that the fear of the Lord is about trust, trusting with all your heart. It is about putting yourself in God's hands, entrusting yourself to him and to his care. It is about trusting God as well. It's about trusting God rather than yourself. Did you see that? Do not be wise in your own eyes. Lean not on your own understanding, it says. The fear of the Lord is at one level about choosing to trust God's judgment rather than your own. You see, we will never in this life escape moments when God's judgment comes into conflict with ours moments where what he commands or teaches just it just doesn't seem right to us the fear of the Lord is about respecting God's judgment at these points when there's a clash and we're actually faced with a choice of who we're going to trust it's about trusting God This is where the idea of humility, which we noted before, fits. The fear of the Lord means humility about who I am and what I know. It means a right respect for God's infinitely superior knowledge and his right to command. It means listening to God and respecting his rightful place. It means letting him be God. In all your ways, acknowledge him. The fear of the Lord means allowing God to be God, letting Him lead you, respecting His right to rule. The fear of the Lord, that is, is not primarily about being scared of God. That's not what it means. It's about a right respect for God, which means a right respect for His teaching, His word, and for His right to rule. The fear of the Lord is an approach to life, a humble approach to life taken because of a deep awareness of who God is and what he means, what he really means. Now, this, of course, is not just a kind of attitude, an abstract thing. It's also very practical. It's about obedience. Fear the Lord, it says, and shun evil. Turn away from evil. We're talking about a trust in God that is practical that involves following where he leads, putting into practice, committing yourself to the path he shows you. Uh, now, the father next tells his son that this will at least make a difference to what he does with his money. Verse 9 Honor the Lord with all your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. You can't fear God, he's saying, without it costing you, quite literally. Though in the long run, he says, this will not be a bad investment. But it will also cost you personally, he goes on to say. The fear of the Lord involves, you see, accepting a certain kind of life journey. This stance will set us on a certain kind of path. A path where we are intimately engaged with God. You cannot fear God And keep at a safe distance from him. Trusting God means he becomes involved in your life and that can be stressful. Have a look at it. Verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. God's desire, you see, is to be involved in our lives as an attentive and good father. Not a father who is absent and disinterested and distracted, content to let us go our own way and indifferent to the direction we take. No, he's, he's a father who is interested in and invested in us and our good. And so who will discipline us? if necessary. If you set out on a path marked by the fear of the Lord, then here's the thing. You expose yourself to being loved by God. You expose yourself to being loved by God. And in fact, more than in, delighted in. Delight, and that is, that's a wonderful thing, right? To, to, you are delighted in by God. He delights in you like a, a father delights in their child, but that is a costly thing as well, because God's love is not just a kind of vague, sentimental, you know, feeling. It's it's a deeply committed love, a, a love which will not let this child grow up the wrong way, and that can be a wrench, because God. God's love is true love, love that seeks our good. God delights in those who trust in him enough to want us not just to be temporarily happy, but to be righteous. That's a wrench. The fear of the Lord is about not fleeing from that hard love. You see, like physical training which is only valuable if it is to some degree painful, fearing God means remaining open. Remaining open despite the pain to that difficult growth and improvement. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is because the fear of the Lord, the humble submission to God that does not refuse his difficult love, That is the way to wisdom. And wisdom is the most vanishing thing there is, and the passage immediately reminds us of this. See it in verse 13. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Nothing. Just stop and think about what you desire. For a moment. What you desire, you you desire if you're anything like me and you know the human race, you desire many things. Nothing compares with the value of wisdom. Nothing is better for you than to be wise. Long life is in her right hand, verse 16. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. Enduring God's discipline, keeping trusting him despite the wrestle that it involves will not prove to be a mistake in the long run because in the long run it will prove a path to wisdom, a path of life and peace and blessing. And that won't be some weird supernatural life out of step with our nature as human beings. In fact, this is actually the most natural, the most real and normal way to live because as verse 19 goes on to explain, and this is a theme we've seen before, it's great that all these things are coming together at the end. Life in accordance with wisdom is life with the grain of the universe. Have a look at it, verse 19. You see, by wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the deeps were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. See, this world, this, this world, not this, well, maybe this lectern, but the, you know, this world, you, is a world formed through wisdom, a world that God has given a certain shape and structure in accordance with his knowledge. Wisdom is supreme because it is a key, it is the key, to a life lived in harmony with the tune that the whole creation has sung from the very first days. And so the father concludes, what could make more sense than to hold on to wisdom? Verse 21. My son... Preserve sound judgment and discernment. Do not let them out of your sight. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go your way in safety and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being snared. With, with wisdom, one can walk. Surely, without fear, because with wisdom one is walking with the Lord, watched over and defended by Him. Friends, at the end of the day, the challenge of Proverbs comes down to a very simple question Do you want to be wise? Do you want to be wise? Do you want to live your life with the grain of the universe? Do you want a life that turns out well? Well in a true and rich sense? If so, then Proverbs teaches us that there is ultimately only one decision that matters. Will you fear the Lord? Will you fear the Lord? For this is what wisdom comes down to. This is the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. Are you willing to trust God with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding? Are you willing to let God be God and humbly submit yourself to his rule, his judgment, his word? Will you acknowledge him? And set yourself to follow where he leads, keeping not one of your ways all to yourself. And will you resist the urge to refuse and resent his discipline and open yourself to the scary prospect of being loved by him? Will you fear the Lord? It's actually quite a big challenge, isn't it? Proverbs would be much easier, actually, without this theme of the fear of the Lord, if it was just a matter of teachings, if it was just a matter of Proverbs. Bird in the hand, two in the bush, too many cooks, all that kind of stuff. You know, that'd be kind of, there'd be jokes, and it'd be kind of, oh, you know, we'd go away feeling good about ourselves, but Proverbs doesn't just say that. If it just said that, it wouldn't be so demanding. Wisdom wouldn't cost us so much of our autonomy and our sense of security. But instead, it confronts us with this very difficult challenge. But we need to hold on a moment before we finish the sermon series. For there is something else absolutely crucial to say. Something that in some ways makes this more difficult, and in some ways makes it much less. You see, we cannot think about this question of the fear of the Lord in the abstract anymore. As if it were purely a matter of a kind of in principle submission to God or not. As if we just had to decide in principle whether we were going to trust God or not. We can't do that anymore. And we can't do it because that's not the God with whom we have to do. Some abstract ruler. We know more about God than this. And so our decision about whether we will fear God, has to take a very particular, very concrete shape. You see, the God we have to fear is the God of the cross. Let us end our sermon series by going now to the most wonderful and remarkable passage about wisdom in the whole Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's on page 1,128 in the Bibles in the pews. Because you see, in this remarkable opening chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, we see with crystal clarity what the fear of the Lord really involves and why, why there is no true wisdom without it. Let me read it to you again. Caitlin read it wonderfully before, but let's see it again from verse 18. For the message of the cross is, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God... The world, through its wisdom, did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because the Lord is the God of Jesus Christ. The God of the cross who the world and we could not and cannot know by its wisdom, by our wisdom. The God we are called to fear, you see, is the God of Christ crucified. The God whose power is perfected in the weakness and ridiculousness of the cross. Who has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong and the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, who chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things, things that are seen as worthless and unimportant, to put to shame, to bring to nothing, things that seem to be incredibly grand and significant. You see, in our own proud, self-assured wisdom, we would never have known about the cross. We would never have come up with that. We would never have been able to see it. We wouldn't have known the God of Jesus Christ. And that is why wisdom has to begin with the attitude of trust in him, which turns away from its own understanding and gives God his throne and lets him call the shots. Because at its heart, you see, the wisdom in which this world was made bears the imprint of the cross. Wisdom at its deepest is cruciform. And so wisdom begins with the fear that will let God speak and do what he will. Friends, the last thing we need to hear in this sermon series on wisdom and Proverbs is to hear this profound rebuke of our own pretensions to be wise. To hear the the word of the cross, which is a word of judgment upon human wisdom, and see how the folly of God is wiser than the wisest we can come up with. That's why the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So, brothers and sisters, do you want to be wise? I hope you do. I'm sure you do, actually. Because I know many of you, and you're lovely people, and you're pretty sensible, and that's the kind of thing we want to do. We want to be wise. Do you want wisdom? I hope you do. That thing which is more precious than rubies, which can make us walk securely and whose paths are peace. Do you want it? Then, this is the decision that lies before you. Not just whether you will fear God in the abstract, but whether you will fear this God, the God of the cross. Will you fear him? Will you trust this God with all your heart? This God who allowed his son to be crucified and then raised him from the dead? Will you surrender to this God your judgment? your autonomy, your understanding, and allow this foolish God to direct your steps? Will you acknowledge this God, this weak, humiliated God, to be your king and rightful ruler, and once and for all lay down your pride? Will you accept and and be open to the difficult love of this God, having seen what it meant for Jesus? That, brothers and sisters, is the way of wisdom, of true wisdom. The way of life with the grain of the universe. And though it is a strange and scary way, we will not regret taking it. For the Lord will be our confidence and he will keep our feet from being snared.